Well, I want to say good morning to those of you who are here at our Sugarloaf campus, those at our Mill Creek, those online watching by television. Thanks for being a part uh, of the service today. You know, if you've had children, you know this. The birth of every child is the beginning of a grand adventure. Now, they don't realize it at the time. We did when we were kids. But once you go through it, you realize just what a tremendous adventure it is. Because it's all about learning new things. Now, you may not remember, but just how cool was it when you said your first word? How cool was it when you learned to write your first word? How cool was it when you learned to read your first word? And of course, you know, many of us remember how cool it was when we first learned to ride a bicycle and how to drive a car. Well, there, there's this magical thing that happens in homes all over the world, happens every single day. <clears throat> and from the time that a child is born, if that child is healthy, <clears throat> there's this moment of anticipation. And it's like the clock is ticking. And when it happens, grandparents take videos. Parents put it on Facebook. They put it on Instagram. They tweet it out and joy explodes everywhere. And it's when that child takes that first step. They, they, they let go of the chair, the armrest, the whatever, and they take that first step. They put one foot in front of the other, and all of a sudden they learn, I can walk. It's a time of rejoicing, but the rejoicing soon falls into weeping and gnashing of teeth because it's a new day for those parents. But it is a great time. And the reason I say that is because God created us to walk. I don't mean primarily physically. God created us to walk morally and ethically and spiritually. As a matter of fact, when you know you're walking the right path and you know you're walking in the right direction, you realize you're taking the walk of a lifetime. And it begins when you walk to Jesus. And then you walk with Jesus. And then you walk for Jesus. If you're a guest of ours today, we're in a series of messages in a book called Colossians in the New Testament. And we're calling this the guardian of the galaxy because there's no other book in the New Testament that so elevates Jesus and so extols Jesus and so exalts Jesus like the book of Colossians. And what we're going to be talking about today in Colossians chapter 2 is where Paul describes the walk of a lifetime that is centered around Jesus. Now, the reason why I want to talk about this walk is because actually I'm going to deal with a very big problem that we as Christians face today and the church faces today. Here's the problem. Too many people who call themselves Christians have never truly walked to Jesus. And then even those who have walked to Jesus either never really started walking with Jesus or they quit walking with Jesus. Or even if they walk with Jesus to a certain extent, they never walk for Jesus. And too many Christians have just kind of quit their walk and now they're walking in the wrong direction. And that probably explains why research has found that a lot of young people outside the church young outsiders, younger people who do not go to church. This is what they say. 84% say they personally know at least one committed Christian. 
Yet only 15% thought the lifestyles of those Christ followers were significantly different from everyone else. Now just let that settle in for a minute. As a matter of fact, this is what the researcher concluded, I'm quoting. The church in the eyes of young people is full of hypocrites and too often we fit the bill. One of my dear friends, Dr. Albert Moeller, the president of Southern Seminary, hit the mark when he said this. Now we face the challenge of evangelizing a nation that largely considers itself Christian, overwhelmingly believes in some deity, considers itself fervently religious, but has virtually no connection to historic Christianity. I read a book not long ago by a young pastor friend of mine down in Florida, really good book, but I love the title. I wish I'd written the book. The title of the book was Unsaved Christianity. Unsaved Christianity. Paul wrote a letter called Colossians. Group of believers you'd never even met, never even visited the church. They live in a culture a lot like the culture we live in today. They, um, they worship the stars. They were really into astrology. They worship false gods. They, they substituted their reason, their thinking, their science for God. And so Paul is writing this group of believers and he says, look, I think I need to remind you what a true Christian looks like. You're on a walk, whether you realize or not, God created you to walk. You need to be taking the walk of a lifetime. So he describes for them what that walk looks like. We're in Colossians chapter two, if you brought your discipleship booklet, it's a page 58. Paul said, if you wanna take the walk of a lifetime, you gotta take three steps every day. And they're really simple. Step one, fully love Jesus. First step, fully love Jesus. That's the first step to becoming a true Christian when you say, you know what? I'm going to fully love Jesus. So listen to the way Paul starts this out. He says, so then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord. Let me stop right there. If you've ever wondered, you know, I hear the word Christian used so often and everybody has a different definition. Can you just give me one simple, succinct definition? There it is right there. That's what a Christian is. A Christian is someone who has received Christ Jesus as Lord. Perfect definition. That word receive means to take with you or to take into you. So let me, tell you, let me make this as plain as I can. You may say, well, of course I know that. Yeah, but you don't understand it. The reason why Paul used that language was he was letting them know there is a difference between believing in Jesus and receiving Jesus. There's a difference between believing that Jesus is Lord and receiving Jesus as Lord. He said, a Christian is someone who's received Jesus as Lord. There was a professor at Harvard University. His name was Harvey Cox. I'm not even sure the man was a true Christian. He said that he was. I'm not gonna try to question that. But he was extremely liberal. He wasn't where you and I would be on a lot of things. But even Dr. Cox said something that was so right. He was talking about believing in Jesus as an act of the head, but receiving Jesus as an act of the heart. And he said, this is the difference. We can believe something to be true without it making much difference to us but we place our faith only in something that is vital for the way we live. And I want you to notice who Paul said that we ought to receive. He said, receive Christ Jesus as Lord. Now you wouldn't know this, but when you read that in the original Greek language, 
Paul put this in a very fascinating way. As a matter of fact, he said something in a way that is never ever repeated in the New Testament. 74 times in the New Testament, you'll read the combination of those three words, Christ, Jesus, Lord. 74 times you'll read that combination. But Paul does something here he doesn't do anywhere else, he's never done anywhere else in any of the Bible. He puts these words together, but here's what he did. He put a definite article in front of Christ and a definite article in front of Lord. So this is what Paul literally said. So then, just as you received the Christ Jesus, the Lord. Why did Paul do that? 73 times, pretty much the same thing. But this one time, Paul changes up everything. Why does he do that? What's his point? He's trying to emphasize, let me tell you who you receive here. Number one, you're not just receiving Christ, you're receiving the Christ. In other words, this is the Messiah. This is the one that was prophesied and promised in the Old Testament. This is the one that Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel all talked about. This is the one that God promised from the very first chapter in all of the Bible. This is the ruler. This is the redeemer of the nation of Israel. He is the Christ. But then he said, you don't just receive the Christ. You receive Jesus, a human name. In other words, he's saying, you're what you're, we're talking about a real person who lived at a real time, who lived in a real place, who was a real human being, who had a real human name, and he, and he had a real human experience. But then he wraps it all up, all up and he says, hey, you Jews, he's the Christ. Hey, you humans, just like you, just a human being like us, but to everybody, he is the Lord. He's not just your buddy. He's not just your genie. He's not just your homeboy. He's not just the man upstairs. He is the Lord that we are to love with all of our heart, all of our soul, all of our mind, and all of our strength. He says, what I'm asking you or what I'm saying to you, Colossians, and what I'm saying to you today is this. Have you truly received the Christ Jesus, the Lord? There was a lady, she lives in Greenville, South Carolina, she wrote a letter to me about 10 years ago. I've never shared it till today. She wrote a letter to me about 10 years ago and I was so moved by the letter. I wish she could be here today to give her testimony, but I won't give you her name. This is the letter that she wrote me about 10 years ago. Dear Pastor Mary, <clears throat> this is to thank you for your very clear explanation of salvation in your sermon broadcast on TV today. So many people imply that salvation is a factual belief uh, only and many are deceived. Here is my experience. I believed the facts and went forward to profess my quote unquote faith without any surrender of my will. Hear that, without any surrender of my will. I thought I was saved. I even taught Sunday school classes, but I did what I wanted to do. I stood up for my rights. I was miserable. Finally, I made this commitment, Lord, I'm going to turn the whole mess of my life over to you. Do whatever you choose. That was a few years ago and never once have I doubted my salvation. Someone said once, this is the way she ended the email or the letter, a grace that doesn't change you is a grace that will not save you. <clears throat> my mentor, Adrian Rogers, he used to say it this way. 
If your religion hasn't changed your life, you better change your religion. If your religion hasn't changed your life, you better change your religion. You know what happened to that lady? She came to a point where she said, I'm going to fully love Jesus. I don't just believe he is Lord, I'm receiving him as Lord. So here's an honest question. Have you really taken that first step? Not the step with the head, <coughs> the step with the heart. That's step one. Say, yes, I have. All right, I, I fully love Jesus. All right, doesn't stop there. There's a second step. What's the second step? Paul said, when you fully love Jesus, then you will faithfully live for Jesus. If you fully love Jesus, you will faithfully live for Jesus. You know, every time I uh, <coughs> lead a person to faith in Christ, I always say this to them. Once they pray to receive Christ, I say, look, now what you've done is not the end of the Christian life. It is just the beginning. The first step's not a stop. It's just the first step. It's a start to a walk. So Paul continues. So then, just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, now watch this, continue to live your lives in him. Now, in the Christian life, you never stand still. Hear me on this. You never stand still. From the time you receive Christ as your Lord, you either go forward or you slip backwards. You never stay the same. It cannot happen. By the way, that phrase continue to live is where I get the title of my message. That word continue to live, that phrase, it's one word in the Greek language. We get the word peripatetic from that. It means to walk. <clears throat> what Paul said was, hey, as you've received Christ Jesus, walk in him. Now, what does it mean to walk? In the Bible, to walk, it's a, it's a picture of your conduct. The, the walk is the way you live your life. It's the way you act. It's the way you react. It's the way you treat other people. It's the way you conduct yourself in certain situations. So Paul says, just as you received him, you're to walk in him. You're to walk in his path before you. You're to walk in his presence beside you. You're to walk uh, to his promises that are in you. You're to walk to the purpose he has for you. You know, when a child learns to walk, that's a great day. But then you know this, and this is when it really gets fun around the house. They learn to run. They realize, you know what? I can do this even faster. And then they learn if you just bend your knees a little bit with a little effort, you can jump. And then they learn that the bigger they get and the more mature they are, the faster they can run and the longer they can run and the higher they can jump. And that's exactly what Paul is saying here. He says, look, if you're healthy, you grow. That's a sign of health. You, you, you grow. Anything not healthy will die. So here's what Paul says. He says, okay, you've received Christ Jesus, Lord. You fully love Jesus. Now, as you faithfully live for Jesus, you walk in Jesus. You keep that walk up. You don't slip backwards. You keep going forward. He said, this is what will happen. You'll be rooted and built up in him. You'll be strengthened in the faith as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. Now, this is deep. Stay with me. Paul's talking about living for Jesus, living your life, taking that walk we all take every day. We do. You got up this morning. 
You know why you came to church? Your feet brought you to church. You chose a path. You could have chose to stay in bed. You could have chose to go into the mountains. You could have chose to go downtown to Atlanta. You chose to came to church. Your walk took you on a certain path. Your walk took you on a certain direction. Paul said, the more you keep walking that right path and the more you keep walking in that right direction every day of your life, you will be rooted and you will be built up. So it's kind of interesting. Paul's talking about walking. All of a sudden he says, hey, let's, talk, let's just talk agriculture just a minute. Let's talk about being rooted. Of course, he's painting the picture of a tree that's rooted in the ground. And, and we all know that a tree grows from the roots. And then he says, well, let's just don't talk about agriculture. Let's talk about architecture. So he talks about being built up in Jesus. What he means is he's referring to the foundation of a building. You know, a foundation is what determines the strength and the stability of a building. So as the roots grow deeper, a tree gets stronger. As the foundation of a building goes deeper and goes wider, the building gets more sturdy and the building gets stronger. What Paul is saying is, how do you make sure that every day your roots are getting deeper in Jesus? How do you know every day that your foundation is getting wider in Jesus? How do you pull that off? How do you do that? Well, he tells us. He says, you've got to be strengthened in the faith. Now, don't miss this little word. He didn't say strengthen in faith. He said strengthen in the faith. What's the faith? This is the faith. This is the faith. Faith is how you believe. The faith is what you believe. And if you don't know what to believe, this is the faith. He says every day, he says every day when you get into God's word and you get God's word into you, here's what happens. You might not even realize it. You grow sturdier. You grow stronger. You're, 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 you're greater in your walk with God. Listen, I was thinking about this the other day. I've been following Jesus since I was nine years old. My mom taught me. I've, been, I've read my Bible. I, I haven't missed you could count on the probably maybe four hands a number of days unless I was sick that I've not read my Bible. And I've read my Bible through and through and I've read it over and over and over. And I was reading this passage of scripture and I said, Lord, you are exactly right. I am more sure today of what I do believe. And I am more sure today of what I should believe than I've ever been in my life. And you know how this works? The older I get and the longer I live, just one example, I have never been less afraid. I have never been less worried. I've never been less concerned about dying than I am today, never. Because I know when I die, I'm going to be with Jesus. I know to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. I know the moment I take my last breath on earth, I'm gonna take my first breath in heaven. And the more I study God's words, you know what God does for me? He strengthens my faith and he weakens my doubts. So he says, you'll be rooted and you'll be grounded. And see, this is the point. If you fully love Jesus, you will faithfully live for Jesus. When you walk to Jesus and then you walk with Jesus, then you walk for Jesus. And the reason why Paul wrote these words and the reason why I'm so passionate about it is this. I know I mean, we get so, pastors do, we get frustrated with believers who are stuck. So many believers, have they walked to Jesus? Yeah, I believe they've walked to Jesus. I do believe it. But they don't walk with Jesus. They don't walk 
for Jesus. I'm not trying to put you on a guilt trip. I'm really not just being honest. Too many of you, the only time you ever hear or read these words is when you come to this church on Sunday. You don't crack that book open the rest of the week. It's not even on your radar screen. You walk to Jesus. You're not walking with Jesus. And then when you get a chance in, in your, where you work and where you play and where you live and where you go to school, you get a chance to walk for Jesus. You get these opportunities to let people know where you stand with Jesus and you don't tell them. You say nothing. What's the problem? Well, it's not that you haven't walked to Jesus, but you're not walking with Jesus. When you're not walking with Jesus, you won't be walking for Jesus. Dorothy Day, name you may or may not know, she was a tremendous Christian. As a matter of fact, she was so excited about living her Christian life in public every day. They called her a Christian activist. I, I like that term, a Christian activist. She said something, and man, the first time I read this, I thought that is absolutely one of the most convicting, profound statements I think I've ever read in my life. Here's what she said. We should live in such a way that our lives wouldn't make much sense if the gospel were not true. Let that settle in. We ought to live in such a way that our lives would not make much sense if the gospel were not true. So you say, hey, pastor, I fully love Jesus, okay? Then I just have a simple question. Are you faithfully living for Jesus? Are you faithful in your devotion to the church? Are you faithful in your financial support of the church? Are you faithful in sharing the message of the church? Are you faithful in doing the ministry of the church? Paul said, you wanna, you wanna walk the walk of a lifetime? You wanna get the biggest bang of the buck that you counted on when you gave your life to Jesus? Then not only must you fully love Jesus, you have gotta faithfully live for Jesus. But then he said, one last step. That's my favorite one. He said, you have to firmly look to Jesus. You gotta firmly look to Jesus. Now, let me tell you what happened. See, this is where a lot of you got ambushed. You didn't even know it. So go back to that time in your life, if you've got a testimony, go back to that time in your life when you gave your life to Christ, when you took that walk to Jesus, you took that step, you realized you were a sinner, you needed a savior, you're not him, he is. You gave your life to him, you surrendered your life to him. So you walked to Jesus. But you didn't know what happened the moment you did that. Because the moment you did that, you made three enemies. And they never let up. And they never back up. And they never take a vacation. And they're on your rear end every day you get up from the time you get out of your bed to the time you go back to bed. And they're called the world and the flesh and the devil. And they're constantly on you. And they're constantly following you. And they're constantly shooting at you. Because here's the way it works. The devil has one number one goal for every person ever born, to keep them from walking to Jesus. If you've never given your life to Christ, if you're here today and you've never taken that first step to Jesus, I'm just gonna be honest. You and the devil, y'all are buds. Because you're right where he wants you. He does not want you to give your life to Jesus. But then you give your life to Jesus. Well, guess what? You're no longer buds. Not anymore. Now you're enemies. But he doesn't give up. So here's what they do. Well, doggone it. I, James, you're a nine-year-old boy, and I did everything I could to keep you from coming to Jesus, but you sat in that theater, and you gave your life to Jesus. Okay. Now, I guess what's left is I'm going to do everything I can to keep you from walking with Jesus. 
And I'm going to do everything I can to keep you from walking for Jesus. So here's what Paul says. He gives a warning. See to it that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the elemental spiritual forces of this world rather than on Christ. Now, I know that sounds deep. It's really not that deep. It's real simple. If it's real deep, I couldn't understand it. If it's real deep, Jack, you'd never get it, okay? So I'm gonna make it real easy. Real, he's a Florida Gator. I'm gonna make it real easy, real simple, okay? It's not that hard. Here's what Paul was saying. That phrase, takes you captive, is a great translation. That's exactly what it means. It means to take captive. And that's exactly what you have to guard against all of your Christian life. Now, I'm not trying to be political, but this just hit me. There's a lot of spiritually fake news out there. And Paul was saying to these Colossians, you better be able to recognize it. Paul said there are two things don't ever be taken captive to. One is human thinking, and the other is human tradition, especially when they go against the truth of God's word. Now, I want to be clear before I get into trouble here. This book is all true, but it doesn't exhaust all truth. I'll give you an example. If you want to know how to live, read this book. If you want to know how to do brain surgery, go read some other book. If you want to know how to do a heart bypass, go read some other book. This is not that book. It's all true, but it does not exhaust all truth. So I want you to understand what Paul was not saying. We can learn from great thinkers. I do all the time. We can learn from great philosophers. Paul's not against philosophy. I have a doctor of philosophy. The word philosophy literally means lover of wisdom. Phileo to love, Sophia wisdom. It means to be a lover of wisdom. So I want you to understand something. Paul is not saying don't go get an education. You ought to get an education. Don't go to school. You ought to go to school. Don't be well-read. Yes, you ought to be well-read. He is not talking about you know, those kind of things. You ought to be learning and, 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 and engaging with the thinking of others. But he adds a word to let us know what he means. He says don't be taken captive by deceptive philosophy. You say, well, what does that mean? So I kind of put my pen and paper down in my study and I just kind of put my feet up on the desk and I began to kind of scroll back through scripture and my own experience in life. And I'm not saying this is divine inspiration, but I said, you know what? I, I think I can help our people because I, I want you to recognize when a philosopher is a false philosopher or a teacher is a false teacher. People out there who would love to capture you, take you captive with their teaching. So let me just tell you three characteristics real quick, just how you, how you recognize it, okay? See, the, the, there are people who teach things that are cool. That, that's their big thing. Man, I want to be cool. And so what I mean by that, they, they, they don't really listen to this in here. They listen to that out there. And, and they want to go with the flow. And, 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 and they want to hear what the culture is thinking. And they basically say, hey, we need to kind of get with it. You know, we really need to get kind of, we need to go where the culture is going. It doesn't matter if it's running into the wall of biblical truth. They don't care about that. We just need to be cool. We need to be hip. And then they teach what is comfortable. So they have one goal when they get up to teach. Don't offend anybody. 
We, we need people. We need, we, need, we need rears in the seats. So there's certain things we're just not going to talk about. And they've got their little, you know, rails, their third rail. We don't talk about this. We don't talk about that. And if somebody privately wants to ask a question, but we, you know, it doesn't matter if the Bible talks about it or not. We have one goal. We want to maximize the comfort of the hearer and minimize the conviction of the hearer. And then there's a third characteristic. It's convenient. In other words, we're going to take the easy way out, not the hard way in. We're going to be very defensive about not being offensive. And so it's the kind of teaching at the end of the day, it either dilutes the truth or it just outright denies the truth. So let me put this very simply, very plainly. I hope this will help you. If a teaching drives you farther from the Jesus the Bible talks about and the Bible that Jesus taught from, you better reject that teaching. If the teaching drives you farther from the Jesus the Bible talks about and the Bible that Jesus taught from, you had better reject that teaching. See, we all have the same problem. We, love, we, fall, we like to fall in love with new things, right? At Christmas time, you open up a gift. You're hoping it's not from goodwill. You ought to be new. You know, we, we like new things. I, you know, I get that. We like new cars and new this and new that because new means kind of cool. Well, you may, have, may or not have read, C.S. Lewis wrote a book called The Screw, the Screw Tape Letters. <clears throat> and there's two main characters. They're both demons. One's Screw Tape and one's his nephew, Wormwood. And what the book is about, Screw Tape's kind of the head demon. And he's trying to teach Wormwood the ropes on how to tempt people to stay away from God and get away from God and wander away from God. That's what the book is about. So in the middle of, of one of these lessons, Screw Tape reminds Wormwood of something that's so profound. He said... Old error in new dress is ever error nonetheless. And that's why I get so amused at these guys that I hear preach and teach, not all of them, but some. And they think it's so cool because it's new and I go, it's not new. I've heard that before. It's been said many times. It's all in the Bible. It's just not there. But then Paul says, but you know what? Just as dangerous as something that's new is also something that's old, like Human tradition. Now, let me just stop right here and say this. Tradition can be good. I, and I really do believe there are some traditions that we ought to honor for life. And, and I think there are some traditions that have proven themselves over the course of time. They are good, strong traditions. But I think what Paul was talking about is something that absolutely amazes me. And what amazes me is how many Christians take notice in a particular church or, uh, that, that, that they don't follow their religious tradition. Or they don't do things like they were accustomed to them being done. I'll give you a couple of examples. And I'm not upset about this. We don't get defensive about it. But, but we have people that visit our church sometimes. They'll say, why don't you do the Lord's Supper every Sunday? And there are churches that take the Lord's Supper every Sunday. Now, let me just say, I am not against taking the Lord's Supper every Sunday. Not against that at all. Okay? God love them. That's fine. We have our reasons why we don't take it every Sunday. But you know what amazes me? It amazes me that people will focus more on that we don't take the Lord's Supper every Sunday rather than <laughs> most believers don't even come to church on Sunday. Help me, Rhonda. Or we had someone not long ago, they got so upset, they got hot. You know why? Because we don't have our cross on our steeple. And they walked in here and they said, man, we don't, I, don't, I, I don't see a cross anywhere. 
And it never occurred to this person, yeah, we don't have a cross on our steeple and we don't have a cross in the building, but we do preach the cross every Sunday. And there are churches out there that have crosses on their steeples and they have crosses in their buildings and they don't get within a country mile of the cross on Sunday morning. And I'm just simply saying, it is amazing to me how one bothers us, but the other doesn't. So while I'm in the neighborhood, let me just say this. If I haven't made you mad, let me take one more shot. I'd rather hear a guy stand up in a shirt and jeans and shoes and preach the cross and the resurrection and the death and the blood and the love and the grace of Jesus than to stand up in a three-piece suit and tell us why you can't even believe half of what that book says. So I just don't, what Paul is saying is we get so caught up in, in one. And listen, so, so here's what I want to say. Tradition's fine. It's okay, not, not against tradition. But when your tradition trumps the Bible, your tradition just became trash. You say, well, that's strong. I can say it's stronger, but I'm not. But when your tradition trumps the Bible, your tradition just became trash. That's why we must always, in the way we think and the things that we think are important and the way we live, we ought to look to Jesus. And by the way, if you're a guest of ours today, I just want to tell you something. And if this is not your cup of tea, that's okay. We make a lot about Jesus here all the time because he's everything. He's in everything. Without Jesus, we're nothing, we have nothing. And we're all about Jesus. He is the core of what we are. He's the circumference of what we are. He is the center of what we are. He is everything to me. He means more to me than everything else in this world puts together. The greatest privilege of my life was the day I gave my life to Jesus. If I had a thousand lives, I'd give every one of them to Jesus because I know what Christ has done for me. I even have a theory. I believe you get to heaven. I think he's wearing red and black. I can't prove it, but I think that could be true. But Paul kind of draws all this to a close. And he says, let me just kind of wrap up what I've been trying to tell you. Now listen to this. For in Christ, all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ, you've been brought to fullness. He is the head over every power and every authority. Here's what Paul was saying. Only in Jesus do you find God fully because he is the fullness of God. So when you walk to Jesus and you walk with Jesus, you want to walk for Jesus because he will be the center. He will be the circumference. He will be the core of your life. So let me just wrap this up with a little history lesson and we'll say goodbye. I want you to go back to the first few years of the early church. Jesus has died, resurrected, ascended into heaven. And they're trying to get the church off the ground. They're trying to get this Christianity thing moving. And you go back and you begin to read where these earliest Christians stood out for one reason. They, 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 they practiced a lifestyle that was completely countercultural to everybody else. They, 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 you know, where, where the culture of that day, like our day, exalted materialism. It was all about wealth. It was all about power. It was all about comfort. It was all about having the good things in life. It was all about living the American dream. It was all about living the good life. 
They sold their possessions. They pulled their money together. They gave to people that had need. And people took notice of that. And then they lived in a culture where prisoners and lepers and the people in the lowest rung of the social ladder, they were taken off to prison. They were stuck in lepers' colonies. They were kicked to the curb. But these Christians, they visited people in prison, took them food and clothing and the gospel. They went to the leper colonies at the risk of their own life, took them fresh clothes and water, prayer and encouraging word. They didn't run away from the low lives. They ran to the low lives. And they said, let us show you what the love of Jesus is all about. As a matter of fact, their life was so different. Their life was so radically different that the world, the secular world, not the believers, the secular world gave them the name Christians. They didn't call themselves Christians. It was the unbelievers. It was the pagans. It was the people that didn't even understand what they were doing that said, man, I don't know what these guys are about. They're kind of weird to me, to be honest, but I'll tell you this. They follow this Christ. Why don't we call them Christians? Because they were so radically different. Here's the question. Why? Where, where, where many religions, for example, where many religions were marked with paganism, sexual orgies, orgies drunkenness, complete, complete idolatry. These, these Christians would get together in a home. They'd have what's called a love feast. They'd break bread. They'd drink wine. They would fellowship. They would sing to the top of their lungs. And they would worship the Christ Jesus, the Lord. Got to ask the question. What motivated their walk the way they walked to be so out of step with the way everybody else walked? What motivated them to live a life that was so radically different from the way everybody else lived their life? There's only one reason you find in the Bible. When they heard the gospel, they received Christ Jesus as Lord. They took that first step, but they didn't stop. They said, Lord, now that we've walked to you, now we're going to walk with you. And now that we're walking with you, we're going to walk for you. One of these days, don't know when, don't know where, don't know how, We're going to walk right out of this life into the next one. One day, one day, don't know which step it is, but one step is going to be your last one. One breath is going to be your last one. One sound will be the last one you hear on this earth. One sight will be the last thing you'll see on this earth, and you're going to be gone. And I am telling you, if that book is true, if Jesus is who he said he was and did what he said he did, the walk of a lifetime is when you walk to Jesus, with Jesus, for Jesus, and then he walks with you right into heaven.
So I beg you, my brothers and my sisters and my friends and my neighbors, whether you're black, white, Korean, Asian, I don't care where you're from or who you are, you only get to walk this life one time. Make it the walk of a lifetime. Let's pray together. With his bowed and with eyes closed, I want to ask you that one question. Listen, I don't want anybody to move or leave. Just sit very still. This is a big deal to us. It ought to be a big deal to you. Have you taken that first step? Have you taken that first step? I'm not asking you, oh yeah, I believe Jesus is Lord. No, 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 no. Have you received Jesus as Lord? And you don't have to wonder whether you have or not. Because I'm going to tell you something. I'm telling you, I'm a satisfied customer. When you receive Jesus as Lord, your life is radically changed. Your life will be forever different. Some of you, if you were honest, you'd say, no, I haven't done that. I, I've never taken that step to Jesus. You know, Pastor, I've never thought about it. Yeah, head, yep, not heart, nope. I'm just gonna invite you to do this very quickly. Would you like to take that first step? Would you like to walk out of this church and back into that parking lot? No, for the rest of your life, you're taking the walk of a lifetime? Then why don't you just tell Jesus this? Lord Jesus, I'm a sinner and I need a savior. You died for my sins. God raised you from the dead and I believe it and you're alive right now. So Lord Jesus, would you come into my heart? Would you save me? Would you forgive me? I repent, I turn away from my sins. Yes, I believe you are Lord, but today I receive you as Lord. I give all that I am all that you are. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for hearing my prayer. Thank you for giving me eternal life. Now, if you prayed that prayer and you meant it, you won't mind doing this one last thing I'm going to ask you to do. It's real easy. If you meant that prayer in your worship guide, there was a card that we gave you. It's called Connection Card. You can't miss it. It's right down at the bottom of that, of that uh, worship guide that we gave you. Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask you to take that card right now. I'm going to ask you to fill it out, pen or a pencil. There's one in the chair in front of you if you need one. I'm going to ask you to do this. Sign your name. Give us some contact information, email address, cell phone number, some way we can get in touch with you. At the bottom of that box, it says, Today, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I want you to check off that box. If you did that, check off that box. Now, if you checked off the first box, go ahead and check off the second one. I I want to be biblically baptized. Why? Remember, the first step's not a stop. It's just a step. What's the next step? Well, you know what means means to fully live for Jesus? You get baptized. That's the first thing you do. Living for Jesus is obeying His command. He commands us to be baptized. Some of you have never been biblically baptized since you received Christ. You need to check off the second box. So either you have been saved today and you need to check off the second box or you don't have to be saved today, you are, but you've still not been baptized. Either way, you need to check off that second box. And then it may be there's some of you here today and you say, nope, don't need to do either one of those things. So you're a believer, been baptized? Yes. Are you a member of the church you attend? No. Then you need to check off the third box. Because God didn't just want you to come sit soaking sour. God wants you to serve and disciple and be sent and worship and give. I'm gonna ask you to check off the third box. I'd like to, I'd like to get in the, the starting point process. Check off that third box. 
that at either one of our campuses, when this service is over, there'll be a table called Connection Point. You can't miss it. Go to that table, hand them your card. They'll know exactly why you've come. They'll get your information, give you some information you need to take with you. You'll be gone. We'll follow up with you later. Lord, in the name of Jesus, thank you for your word. I just want to thank you personally that I started that walk when I was nine years old. And I've not always taken the steps I should take. I'm like everybody in this room that has had my experience. I, I fell, I stumbled, got off the beaten path. But every time you picked me up, dusted me off. And Lord, I know I'm happiest when I'm on that path walking in that right direction. So thank you for this message. Use it for your glory in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, as Bruce, as Bruce uh, closes up, don't leave just for a second. This is important. So the guy I baptized a minute ago that brought his one, you know what he said to me when I got out of the baptistry? He was so pumped. Here's what he said, Bruce. I said, man, isn't it great that I baptized you then you brought your one? He said, yeah. He said, you know what I'm excited about? I said, what? He said, my next one. I love it. So who's your one?